now we're going to get Greg to come up. Um, Greg, I've got to the last few years, and I count him as a, as a great friend. Um, so it's a joy and a privilege to have uh, such a, a man here today. And, and I just, when this guy speaks, uh, he doesn't know I'm saying this, but when this guy speaks, there is an authority that comes with, his, with what he says. And the authority comes because he is a man who has been faithful for many years to what Christ has called him to. Uh, so as he speaks today, I'm, I'm asking that you will uh, re- have an open heart to receive the very truth that God wants to portray to us. So let me just pray for Greg, and then I'm going to hand over to him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man of God. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear what you have planted in his heart. And I pray that through your spirit and by your grace, we may receive what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Great. Anyway, just to say it's really good to be here. This, this is on, isn't it, I think? Is that right? Is it magnifying? Fantastic. Uh, it's great to see you all again. Some of you know that I refer to uh, Apex as my home church away from home. Those of you who don't know, me and my family, we live in Oxford, and uh, we have a place here on the island and uh, whenever, we're, whenever we're here, um, this is, our, I say, our home church away from home. And there's always a protracted period where we're not here because we rent it out for the summer. And that's now. So we've not been to the island for uh, a, a while. And uh, last time I preached here was April. It's the start of my sabbatical. If you remember, the college that I worked for gave me a sabbatical. And I preached here then. And so it's been six months uh, since I've uh, been here. And um, so when I actually... Um, uh, asked me about preaching um, j- just recently. Um, it, it was funny. I prayed to the Lord about what to bring. And, uh, you know, I've got so much stuff in the bank. But I, and I said to uh, Ashley, I didn't want to give reheated porridge. And, uh, you know, because I've got so much stuff in the bank. And it would be so easy to think, oh, yeah, save myself a bit of preparation. Just give them this. I did, I did three talks last week for a church in Hildenborough in Kent. Could have just, you know, dusted down one of those. And... Um, but my, I've only ever done reheated porridge a couple of times, and it never works. I've seen, what I mean by that, I've only ever, I've, well, I confess, hands up, that once or twice I've actually taken a sermon pretty much verbatim that was from, from one context, and I've delivered it in another context. And it's, I mean, it's been all right, you know, but, you know, it's not been the, the inbreaking of the kingdom that I so long to see. So uh, anyway, so I, said, uh, so I said to the Lord, what do I want to pray? And, and within... Uh, within uh, minutes the Lord said the friendship and the fear talk about the friendship and the fear and base it on a particular verse in the acts of the acts of the apostles Uh, now just so you know I've um, uh, I've only ever this particular verse I preached on once in Oxford about 20 years ago and I've long I've not got the notes so this is basically apart from the title this is this is completely new but I did preach preach on this once and I've never heard a sermon on this I've never heard a sermon on this in all my years of being a Christian and uh, apart from my, my own sermon, which was about 20 years ago in Oxford. So, but I just, just sensed it was of the Lord for you, for you guys, for us as a church, if I could use the raw we, the friendship and the fear. And, there's, and then notice the subtitle, Knowing the God of the Bible Biblically. And, uh, you know, it's imperative that as Christians, we know the God of the Bible, not a God of our own making. Any, a God of our own making is an idol, um, he's not, the God of the Bible is the true God. Uh, John Stott, my mentor, he used to say Christianity is about the voluntary self-disclosure of God. So God has spoken to a lost humanity and he's revealed himself to a lost humanity in a way 
that if he hadn't done that, we would be in the quagmire of confusion. And, and so it's imperative we know the God of the Bible. He's the only God we've got, people. <laughs> um, and, but we need to know him biblically on his own, on his own terms. And, um, and you can see there the lion and the lamb. He re- reveals himself, doesn't he, as the lion of Judah, but the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Both. It might be a paradox, but it's a biblical paradox. So the friendship and the fear. We need to know the God of um, the Bible. We need to know him biblically. Sorry, preempted a little bit uh, there. So here's a little, little a, a story to start with. There's a, a story, you may have heard this, of a, a kid, a child who was uh, drawing a picture in their, uh, at home. They were drawing this picture, of, and uh, it was a bit str- strange picture. It, wasn't, didn't, it kind of uh, looked like kind of um, modern art, and um, like Pablo Picasso. Uh, I, thought I, was a pan of, I thought I might have been a fan of Pablo Picasso, but this summer I was in um, Barcelona and went to, there's a, there's a massive exhibition there of Pablo Picasso. I went around, I thought, I don't like this, it's rubbish. And uh, sorry, it just is. It's, he seemed to have regressed. When he, when he was young, he, there's amazing stuff that when he was young, and then it got more and more bizarre as it went on, you know, like a, a fruit bowl that was just completely, you can't tell it was a fruit bowl. It's just, and I thought, I thought, my Annie could do better than that. You could, Annie, you could do better than Pablo Picasso, for sure. Anyway, anyway, sorry, digress. There was a kid drawing this picture, Pablo Picasso-esque, and it was, and the mum said to the daughter, uh, she said, what's that? What's that? And the, the daughter said, it's God. And, uh, and the mum thought for a minute, and thought, well, nobody, she said, and she said to her daughter, she said, nobody knows what God looks like. And her daughter replied, well, they, they will when I've finished. Uh, <laughs> Was, was the reply. Um, do you know, it's almost as if God could have said that. You know, no one knows what God looks like. And God says, they will when I'm finished. And I preached on, just at Hildenborough last week in, uh, in Kent. And uh, it was on Colossians 1. And there's that famous verse, isn't there, in Colossians 1, where Paul says this. He, Jesus Christ, is the image, the icon of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus Christ. We need to look no further than Jesus Christ. It's as if God has said, you know, they will when I'm finished. And supremely, the incarnation tells us what God is like. It communicates communicates to us God. I had a a sad conversation with uh, one of my former students a few weeks ago. This guy was uh, uh, one of my former students called Paul. And when I first met Paul, Paul was a passionate Christian um, he basically used to go on the streets, uh, preaching the gospel, leading people to Christ. He was very full of the Spirit. But Paul seems to have bought into what you might call theological liberalism in recent years. And so he's, he's bought into all kinds of theologically liberal ideas. And um, not surprisingly to my mind, this guy's lost his fire. And um, someone had told me this, a mutual friend had said, oh, Paul has got into this theological idea, this theological idea. And uh, anyway, he rang me up, and I was driving to my mum's, so I had, I had a few hours in the car. And, I, I, and basically, we started talking. I said, how are you doing, Paul? Fine. And then he started to get into theology, and he's, he's being provocative with me. And he said, I've decided, he said, that um, penal substitutionary atonement is demonic, he said. And uh, I recoiled. Penal substitutionary to- atonement is the heart of the gospel. It's that God, w- well, it, it basically that, uh, that, that basically, well, in the words of uh, uh, in the words of uh, the Apostle uh, Peter, that Jesus Christ died for our sin in our place to bring us to God. That's, 
probably one of the verses that speak about it, that, that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved upon himself. And a lot of this, 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 this idea is not popular these days because we live in, a, in an age where many Christians want a, 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 a gospel that's all about love but not about judgment. Um, they want Beatles 316. All you need is love. They don't want John 316, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That is, go to hell, but have everlasting life. See, it's John 3.16. It's not Beatles 3.16. And um, so the idea that God, the punishment that we deserve, could fall on Christ is repugnant. So Steve Chalk, famous Baptist pastor, he called a penal substitution. He, he said it was cosmic child abuse. That's how he, he parodied it. Um, but that just shows how far he's moved away from biblical truth. That he could say that. Anyway, my friend was saying again, he feels uh, penal substitution is demonic. I recoiled at that. And, uh, and then, of course, I, t- I talked about other things. And I, I, where, where, where were his views on sexual ethics now? And he said, hey, he said, I just respect uh, any two people, if they can stay together regardless of you know, anything, any two people regardless of gender, regardless of anything, I just respect any two people who can have a relationship these days, he said. And, and where does he stand on heaven and hell? Well, he doesn't believe in hell anymore. He only believes in a kind of pan-afterlife for everybody, which is called universalism, that we're all going to this one afterlife. And he even said, he said uh, uh, that the fire which will bless in the future world to come is the fire that will purge. So it's just one afterlife for everyone. Anyway, um, at the beginning of the conversation, he'd said to me, uh, I said to him, what does your pastor think about this? And he said, uh, my pastor, he said, I've convinced them. He said, I've convinced them that it's true, he said. And if, if you give me half an hour, I can convince you. Convince you. He said, and I, I said, Paul, you are being, that, that's, you're arrogant. You are arrogant. This is hubris. And at the end of the three hours, I said, you have not convinced me, Paul. I said, far from convince me. I said, I have to tell you, Paul, uh, that your view of this pan-afterlife doesn't, oh, it's, it's not part of the pro- mainstream Protestant tradition, the Catholic tradition, or the Orthodox tradition. No one believes this pan-afterlife. I said, it's akin to spiritualism. I said, spiritism, you know, which is the... Uh, I said, that's what it is. I said, what, what you've done, you've rejected biblical orthodoxy. And I said, you're not a Christian, you're a Paulist. Because you've created a religion of one. His name's Paul. You've created a religion of one. Paulism. That's not Christianity. Now, you might think, well, this was pretty hard-hitting for me to say that. But I felt I needed, I felt I needed to say this. You know, sometimes faith are the wounds of a friend. And uh, I felt I needed uh, to say this. You see, what, what Paul has done is he's, he's rejected the God of the Bible, as far as I can see. We, we, our call is to know the God of the Bible biblically. And that's what we're thinking about today, the friendship and the fear. Uh, so, Father, may, as, we, as we reflect on this today, uh, I pray for a, a revelation of your word, that these, this sermon might not just be a sum of my words, but that your Holy Spirit might take my words, make them your own, and, and Lord, impress this truth, these truths, I, I pray on, on us as individuals, on us as a community, Lord, that we might know you more and more. We recognize a key to making you known is knowing you, and we can only know you as, re, as you reveal yourself to us. And so speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you saw the pic. It's, uh, we, we've had, had a few uh, difficulties, haven't we, as a nation, as we always do go, going forward. And the, the fuel crisis, did it affect the Isle of Wight badly? We're in Oxford. I was landlocked, so to speak, in my drive for a week. I, I couldn't get any petrol, couldn't get, couldn't get out the, 
couldn't get out the uh, leave, leave the house for about a week. I had a trip that I had to cancel because I had no f- no fuel. And um, anyway, I went down the local petrol uh, station and uh, to find an 80s scar band from Camden Town queuing for petrol huddled together in a very odd fashion. It was madness. <laughs> it's a, you don't get that. You, you're Australian. You don't get that joke, do you? Um, so I thought, who could, who could rescue me? At one stage, Tammy, Tammy bought me a, 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 a jerry can, because, uh, but I went to the petrol station, and it still couldn't get any petrol in the jerry can, but anyway, I eventually did and stuff. So I thought, who, you know, who could rescue, stranded as I was uh, in my drive? Uh, which, which Spice Girl can rescue you if you break down for lack of fuel? Jerry can. Way, way. Sorry, I'm so last century. My humor is very 80s. And we're talking about very 80s humor. Me and we've not been to the... How long have we actually been to our house for? Is it, is it four months or something? Anyway, whatever. We've not been to our flat for ages. But we did come to the Isle of Wight Festival. When was that? September. September. Yeah, September. We, we, were 20, we had our 20th wedding anniversary. So we thought, I know, we'll take our kids to the Isle of Wight Festival. So we did. So we camped in the Isle of Wight uh, Festival. And... Um, I must admit, I had one or two Christian friends a bit concerned that, you know, going to the Isle of Wight Festival, we thought, you know, it's good to engage with secular culture, um, isn't it? And uh, so, uh, and Tom Jones was topping the bill. Any Tom Jones fans? A few Tom Jones fans? So here we are, boogieing on down. There's Tom as a young guy, and here he is now. He's 83. Now, my mum's 86, and she's incontinent, housebound, and immobile. And uh, he's 86. And he's, the, he's, the, he's there, isn't he? I'm boogie, boogieing on, on, on down. Um, it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. His voice echoing out. Did anyone of you hear it? It's amazing. So uh, here's me and the kids. We are boogieing on down. And we were thinking, no, these Christians are a bit too, you know, they're a bit too strict when they're saying we shouldn't be taking the kids to the Isle of Wight Festival. But, um, you know, because uh, they, they, they go to Christian school. They love worship songs. The other day I was driving and Annie, the voice from the back, said, Daddy, have you heard of George Muller? And I said, yes, I have, darling. And she said, he was a great man of faith, wasn't he? George Muller was a, a, a man who ran orphanages in Bristol. And uh, so, you know, the, the Christian school is discipling them well. And uh, I thought, you know, the Isle of Wight Festival is not going to, just a little Isle of Wight, it's not going to harm that, is it? Anyway, we saw Tom Jones for the night. Uh, and uh, we went to sleep in our big igloo tent um, uh, at, the Isle of, at the Isle of Wight Festival over in, kind of, over in Newport there. And... Um, uh, we, we went to sleep, and um, you know, go, the kids, kids tend to wake up early, don't they? So me and Tammy, we were sort of half asleep in the tent, and our two little girls were up bright as a button, eight and ten, and we could just hear them dancing around the tent singing, sex bomb, sex bomb, I'm a sex bomb. Anyway, at that point, I wondered, maybe these Christians were right. Maybe we shouldn't have taken them to the Isle of Wight Festival. There you go. Anyway... Uh, just a bit of news before we crack on. So you, some of you may have heard, some of you not. Mind you, so I've been on, I've been, I've, I've been on sabbatical for, uh, for, for four months. And then I got the sad news that I'd been made redundant. So uh, um, I work, as you know, for uh, this place, Wycliffe Hall, Oxford University. There's me, Director of Ministerial Training. And uh, I, I found out over, over my sabbatical, I'd been a casualty of COVID. As you know, lots of places have lost money. So has the college in Oxford. We've lost stacks of money. They decided they had to make a lecturer redundant or two. Um, and they decided to make, uh, to make me redundant. So, uh, so do, pr- do pray for that. We're in a transition, time of transition. And, uh, and any, any, any of you, have you got any words or pictures for us? You know, we value um, God's, God's, God's guidance, which can come through the prophetics. If you've got any words or, pr- or pictures, that's good. And, uh, and part of me, when I first got made redundant, I thought, 
this is terrible. I'm, I'm 52. I'm at the top of my game. And uh, how can they make me redundant? And, uh, and then uh, I saw this article that was really encouraging. And uh, it, it said this. It said an extensive study in the USA found that the most productive age in human life is between 60 and 70. I thought it was a lot younger. This is a study. 60 and 70 for, is the most productive time. You know, when you get into your... Uh, you know, you get into the swing, you know, you, because what you've done, you've got gifts, but you've got experience, and there's no substitute for experience, is there? There's, you, know, a young, you know, young people, you know, they may have gifts and zeal, but there's no substitute for experience. So there we are between 60 and 70. The second most productive age uh, for human beings is 70 to 80. That's the second most, 70 to 80. And the, th- the th- hooray. And the third most productive age is 50 to 60. So actually, I, th- I was thinking, I was saying to people, 52, I'm in the, I actually said to people, I'm in the most productive time of my life. Well, not according to this, apparently. I'm in the third most productive. If God, if God spares me, so to speak, and I live, God willing, you know, and the Lord tarries, uh, this is only the third most productive decade. I thought it was most productive. Hopefully, the best is yet to come. So if you're, get, if you're getting on like me, middle-aged or even older, the best is yet to come. Anyway... Um, this is the verse. That, that it's a one-verse sermon. Um, that doesn't mean it's any shorter, but it's a one-verse sermon. Acts 9, verse 31. And basically, this verse is in the context of Luke's church history. Obviously, Luke Acts, the first church history. The church is growing exponentially in revival. So, the, Sorry, the church is birthed in revival. But also, the church was birthed in a time of persecution. Interesting, isn't it? So the persecution kicked off. Stephen was the first martyr who died for the faith of Christ. Um, some of the Jews turn to Christ, and they become part of the new church, but some of the Jewish people reject the messianic claims of Jesus, and they actually become persecutors of the new fledgling church, and they see it as a, as a sect. And so this is the context, and what we're told is that in this context, in this context the church grew, so it grew in, in the context of persecution. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, that's the whole region, they had peace, we're told, and they were edified. That word means built up. It connotes uh, um, spiritual depth, not just numerical growth, but spiritual depth. We all need edifying. Some, many Christians get, get born again, and they, stop grow, and they grow for a while, and they stop growing. You know, I've even heard people then create a theology of it, saying, oh, you know, uh, you know, a new Christian comes in and he or she is full of the joy of the Lord. And Christians sometimes say, oh, you'll get over it like us. I've heard people say that, you know, oh, it's just the first love experience. No, no, the first, we're supposed to walk in the first love. New Christians are pro- a prophetic sign to us what we should be. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't certainly slap them down and say, you'll become boring, cynical like us. No, no, uh, we should be like, be like them. Anyway, that's edification. So the, new, the, the churches uh, were told uh, they, they had peace come to this in a minute, they were edified, which is, they were built up. Now, now look, listen to this. They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear and the comfort. We're going to come to this in a minute. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they multiplied. Now, most pastors I know are only interested in that last bit, multiplied. I, I, you know, most pastors I know, they're desperate for their church to grow. Uh, they're all insecure about the fact it might not be growing, uh, they go to pastors fraternals where they all basically boast about how the church is growing or not growing. It's this multiplication thing. Now, is God interested in the multiplication of his church? Yes, yes he is. Of course, God wants his church to grow. But actually, 
God is not just interested in growth. He's interested in how we get there. And also he's given us a means of growth. Now notice in this, so I said I've never heard this verse preached on ever. I've never heard this verse preached, apart from when I preached on it 20 years ago. So this, this, this verse, which you could say is about the friendship and the fear, that's what I've called it. Who's heard a sermon on this before, this verse? Put your hand up if you've ever heard a sermon on this. That's basically no one in the building. It's amazing, isn't it? So here's a verse of scripture. No one in the building has heard a sermon on this apart from me. And it's when I preached this 20 years ago in Oxford. Who remembers uh, this? In 1997, a young worship leader by the name of Matt Redman came produced an album called The Friendship and the Fear. Remember The Friendship and the Fear? Well, he's talking about, you know, knowing God is knowing the friendship and the fear of God. Now, it's there, isn't it? Um, so we have these three things, and they... They were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the friendship of God. So the, walk, the, the early Christians, they saw growth because they were walking not just in the friendship of God, but in the fear of God, the, the friendship and the fear. And that's what I want us to be thinking about today. Um, I've been really privileged to, uh, over my, my sabbatical and of, 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 of leading lots of people to Christ. The Lord spoke to me about this. Uh, a while back saying, um, you know, it's not just public evangelism, it's private. It's not just uh, the many when you preach to, you know, hundreds, but it's, it's the, the ones and the twos. And I've, I've taken that seriously and shared the gospel and I've led people to Christ every week, sometimes, you know, five, you know, yeah, sometimes more than one a week, you know, and there's real spiritual hunger out there. This is um, something from my Facebook in October, oh, well, 16th of October. This is just the other week, isn't it? And it says this, it says, during my visit north, I went to see my mum when the petrol crisis abated. During my visit to the northwest this last week, I had three mentoring meetups with three pastors I coach, Josh, Bethel Church, Liverpool, Johnny of Light and Life Church, Fleetwood, Jamie of Hope Church, Lancaster. And I put, I met Josh in Liverpool Cathedral and led a student to Christ midway, midway through who said he experienced the universal love. So this is Josh here. Josh is the pastor of a church in Liverpool and uh, we went to Liverpool Cathedral to do a bit of mentoring. So Liverpool Cathedral, um, barn of a building, and we sat for three hours at the front pew by the high altar, right at the front. And in the middle of our three-hour mentoring session, I got slightly distracted because there was a person who was just standing in front of the high altar. Uh, and I said to Josh, would you excuse me a minute? And he went, yeah, 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 I'll excuse you. Excuse. And I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit to go and talk to this guy. So Josh didn't mind. So uh, I, I, I talked to this guy probably... For, 20 minutes, half an hour it was in the end. Anyway, this guy, he was, 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 his name was uh, Lucas, and Lucas was from Norway, and Lucas had just moved to Liverpool to start a three-year course uh, at LIPA, which is the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, which was founded by Paul McCartney. And, uh, and I basically said to uh, Lucas, his first time in Liverpool Cathedral, I said, oh, I'm a priest. I said to him, I said, oh, are you? Yeah, interesting. And then I said, uh, you know, do you believe? And he said his parents were Lutheran because he's from Scandinavia. His parents were Lutheran. But he said, I'm really not sure. He said, there must be something there. And then I used the building to share the gospel with him. And I talked about transcendence and imminence. And the building, it was easy to talk about transcendence because Liverpool Cathedral, like a lot of these cathedrals, is a huge building. And they were designed to communicate the transcendence of God. Transcendence and imminence are two theological terms, which mean, means that God is other, but he's also here. He's also Almighty God, but He's also uh, our Savior. He, we should fear Him, but we also have a friendship with Him. See, and transcendence and imminence are both biblically true. And cathedrals can, can, 
communicate transcendence. So I talked about the transcendence of God, the otherness of God. Now, at the back of the cathedral, there was, a neon, there was a neon sign at the back of the cathedral. It's a piece of modern art, and it's some writing. And the writing says this, uh, I, I, I felt your love, oh, sorry, I felt you and I knew you loved me. That's what it says in, in this neon red light. I, 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 I felt you and, and, and therefore I knew you loved me. And what it's referring to is I felt you, God, you know, I felt your presence the Holy Spirit, and I knew you loved me. So, so I talked to this guy, Lucas, about the transcendence and the imminence of God, because both were sim- symbolized in this cathedral. And then I had the privilege to lead him to Christ. He wanted to give his life to Christ. And when I finished praying for him, he had tears in his eyes, and he, he said, uh, I, I, I'm experiencing universal love, he said. And I said, what do you mean, Lucas? And he said, well, when you prayed, I felt heat in my chest, and that heat just permeated throughout my whole body. I felt universal love. I thought, what a, what a wonderful phrase, the universal love of, of God. Um, so, so basically, the friendship and the fear, it's, it's, it's transcendence and imminence. Those are the theological categories. Um, it's that God is God Almighty, but he's also our, our friend. He's also the one that we, sh- we should have a healthy respect, even fear for. We're going to come for that in a moment. But he's also a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus said, didn't he? I don't call you, uh, you know, just followers anymore. I call you friends, uh, uh, Jesus says. So these three, Christ- the, the early Christians then, they, they walked in the friendship and the fear of the Lord. And what did they see? What, because they walked in the friendship of the Lord, what did they see? Sometimes I say that if we want to see uh, what the early Christians saw, we need to do what they did. I know so many Christians who look to the Acts of the Apostles and say, I want that. I want this revival. I want the Holy Spirit to break out. I want to see people become Christians. Well, if we want to see what they saw, we need to do what they did. We need to believe what they believed. Our own kind of reductionist, semi-liberal, Western convenience gospel isn't going to do it. If, if, we, if we continue to be conformed to the image of Western Christianity... Uh, in Britain and other Western nations, it's not going to cut the ice. If we want to see what they saw, we need to do what they did. And anyway, well, what, what did they see, first of all? What did they see? Well, first of all, it says they had peace. Remember, it said, it said they, they knew the peace of God. Now, don't think it was peace without a storm, because it wasn't as if, oh, it's, you know, come by R. Remember, Stephen had just got killed. St- Stephen was, had been murdered. So it wasn't peace with no storm, it was peace in the storm. Now, that's good news for us because the storm ain't going away, is it? Whether it's global jihadism, whether it's the global pandemic mutating into new types, it doesn't seem as if the storm is going away. Last week, the nation was shocked, wasn't it, when this dear man got assassinated. That's right, one of our MPs got assassinated. Do you know he's the second MP to be murdered doing a surgery in five years? Do you know... uh, Clergy, my, my job, clergy are sometimes killed, not very often, but there's 10,000 of us. Do you know there are 650 MPs? Two have been assassinated in five years. That means being a member of parliament is statistically one of the most dangerous jobs in this country. And this, this man was a Christian. So I put on my Facebook, shocked and saddened, I said, to uh, hear about the senseless and barbaric killing of Sir David Ames, MP, this week in the line of duty. Known personally to a number of my friends, he was a noble man, a fine member of parliament, and a courageous Christian who was unafraid to be countercultural. Though, Ro- though a Roman Catholic, that was David Amos, I had more in common with him than many a liberal evangelical. Thanking the Lord for his many years of distinguished service, may he rest in peace, 
and rise in glory. So this guy, I assumed he was an evangelical, actually. I knew he was a Christian. And then, some, and then when he died, I found out he was a Roman Catholic because he stood for biblical marriage. He stood for the unborn. He, he spoke up for the persecuted church. But this guy was a Roman Catholic. And uh, more in common with him than some liberal evangelicals. You know, there are, liberal evan- there are evangelicals out there, and, I, and they, they say they're evangelical, but they, they don't believe what the Bible believes. They're kind of evangelical with the emphasis on jelly. You know, <laughs> evangelical means to be a gospel Christian. That's what we're called to be, gospel Christians. So it's possible to have peace in the storm. I chatted with a friend of mine the other day who's involved in politics, and he said MPs are really scared right now, Greg. He said, pray. Not surprisingly, is it? Most, one of the most dangerous jobs in the country. MPs are really scared, he said. Pray for them, he said. Um, But it's possible, you know, to have peace in the storm. The early Christians had peace even when they were facing persecution and some of their numbers were being executed. They had spiritual depth. They were edified. Remember I said that word edification means to be built up. So edification isn't isn't just numerical growth. It's spiritual depth. Some Christians are only interested, some pastors are, I know, are only seemingly interested in numerical growth. Get them in, pack them in. You know, we want, we want to pack the people in. John Wesley, my hero, said, I don't care about, uh, you know, the, it's not the numbers that count. And he said, give me 10 men, he said, who hate nothing but sin and fear nothing but God. Oh, the fear of God, there it is again. They hate nothing but sin. They fear nothing but God. And he says, I tell you the truth, this, na- the, the, the gate, this nation will be shaken with the gospel and the gates of hell will be overcome. This John, so he, John Wesley realized that actually 10 radical disciples is better than 100 lukewarm so-called disciples. So spiritual depth. I don't want to embarrass him because um, um, I'm quoting from my uh, social media, but uh, I put something about my friend Jack. Uh, he's at the back. I put something on my, my, on my Facebook about Jack earlier in the year. And here it is. This is from, oh, it's, it's from earlier in the year anyway. You can tell it's earlier in the year because I'm looking bigger. Some of you might have noticed I've lost a bit of weight. Uh, and uh, it's, it, I've ruined all my fat jokes because I, I used to say, my wife's a doctor. She tells me to get in shape. And I tell her round is a shape. Anyway, I can't, I can't say that anymore because so, uh, I've, I've, I've slimmed down for Jesus. Anyway, uh, so I put, great to see Jack in church this morning. Um, he's been nearly every week since he became a Christian after I preached here seven weeks ago. So this, was, this post was seven weeks after April when Jack came to church and he gave his life to Christ. Um, I said, um, we've met six times, had numerous meetings, and he's had numerous meetings with other pastors of the church. Um, and it's been a joy to see the change in him in such a short time. He's experiencing the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that I have seldom seen And as he has surrendered his life to the Lord more and more, he's found greater and greater freedom and joy. Hallelujah, what a savior. So you see, Jack gave his life to Christ in April. And, um, you know, I've met with him a a few times. Ashley has. Brother Paul, I know, has has met with with him. And as these kind of fathers in the church have have met with him, he's experienced accelerated growth. He has. There's no other way of putting it. He's experienced accelerated growth. He's but you see, that's for all of us. We're not, we're not, we're not called to be converts, but disciples. And, and, and the, the early church experienced edification, that spiritual depth. Okay, the third thing they experienced, the, the early church experienced was numerical growth. So numerical growth is important. You know, okay, okay, it's important because God wants, God wants many, many, many people in his kingdom. And the fields are white for the harvest. Some people have said to me, oh, you know, uh, the mission is difficult now in a time of COVID. No, it's not. Mission has just changed. It's not, it's not, it's not stopped. 
The Great Commission hasn't been suspended. It wasn't suspended during the last pandemic, the Spanish flu, or the First or the Second World War. The, 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 the Great Commission is never on hold. It just changes. Uh, so here's a thing that happened to me. Just a few quick-fire tests. I'm just throwing out testimonies because I've seen so many recently. Uh, I got invited to go and have tea with the Dean of Christchurch Cathedral because uh, he wanted to offer me a job as a residential canon of Christchurch Cathedral. I'm not, I'm not taking it, by the way. Uh, but anyway, it's nice that he asked me for tea. So I said, great to have coffee this morning with the acting dean of Christchurch Cathedral, Oxford, Father Richard Piers. Uh, I later potted over to the cathedral, and I paused to pray on the chancel steps where I was ordained 25 years ago. I was ordained on the steps of Oxford Cathedral 25 years ago. John Wesley was ordained on the same spot many years before the 25th of September, 1725. And I again audaciously asked the Lord to, to make me an evangelist like him. You might think that's audacious, but I think let's pray big prayers. Why not? I'm, not, I'm, I'm not nowhere near as good as John Wesley. I know that. But there's nothing wrong with asking, is there? Don't ask, you don't get it. So I said, Lord, you know, make me, make me, an, evangelist like, make me an evangelist like him. Seeing my clerical collar, because I, I, I was wearing a, a, flowery, a flowery shirt and a clerical collar, um, to see the dean. Seeing my clerical collar, an elderly gentleman interrupted my silent prayer. So I was praying where Wesley was ordained. He interrupted my silent prayer and he said, can I ask you a question? And he proceeded to ask me various theological questions and said he believed in God, but he was hesitant to call himself a Christian. He said, because I'm not good enough. That's what he said. I'm not good enough. I pointed to the crucifix over the high altar. This crucifix above the high altar. I pointed to the crucifix above the high altar, and I said, you don't need to be good enough because he is pointing to Jesus. He was intrigued. I shared the gospel with him using one of my favorite parables of Jesus, the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke 18, 19 to 14. You know, that beautiful one evangelistically because it juxtaposes justification by works and justification by grace. So the Pharisee, the religious one, says, oh, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, it's disgusting, isn't it? Self-righteousness. And then the Pharisee falls down and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a juxtaposition of, 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 of grace and works. So I used that to explain the gospel with him. And then I said to him this, your inadequacy is your first qualification for grace. So he was thinking he was disqualified because he was a sinner. No, it's the thing that qualifies you. Your inadequacy qualifies you for grace. He looked amazed and he said the penny had dropped. He was visibly moved. He clasped my hands in his as we prayed for him to receive Christ on the spot where Wesley was ordained 296 years before. The harvest is, is, is plentiful, says Jesus. And the experience of, the, of the, 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 the primitive church, the early church, was that they, they, they increased in numbers. But they did so because they were, walked in the friendship and the fear. And this is what Western Christians, we so often get wrong, the friendship and the fear. So let's look then at uh, the friendship and the fear. First of all, the friendship. So, so the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being edified. We've looked at that, haven't we? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So they walked in the friendship of God. Now, I don't really need to spend long on this at all because Western Christians generally do not need convincing that God is their friend. Uh, in fact, these days, uh, we've replaced Almighty God with Almighty God. You know, we're, all, we're almost too matey, with, too matey with God. I know Christians who say, oh, I was speaking the other day to the big G. I mean, I'm not, no, it's fine, it's fine. But what I'm saying is God is still God. Yes, he's our friend. Jesus said, you're no, no, no longer just uh, uh, servants, you're friends. He's our friend. And that's a wonderful thing that he's our friend. 
But I would suggest to you, Jesus is your friend, but he's not your mate. That's, my, that's what I'm saying, suggesting. He's your friend, but he's not your mate. He's still almighty God. Um, and so, so Jesus is your friend. Now, friendship, we all, we, the idea that God is our friend is a wonderful thing. We all need friends, don't we? Since I got made redundant, I've been renewing some of my old friends. This is a, I went to see a mate of mine, Jonathan, who was at, at school with me. And I put a room with a view, pleasant to wake up to the chorus of bovine braying in the trough of Boland um, as my friends Emma and Sarah's new 18th century farmhouse. Uh, John burnt the croissants before a pleasant meander in the typical English autumnal weather. It was raining. Uh, We were best mates in our school days 34 years ago, connected by our common love for Christ. And it's a friendship that has endured the years. And then I put hashtag Along with family, friends are God's greatest earthly gift. And that's, that's one of my mottos. Along with f- family, friendship are, are God's greatest earthly gift. So we all, we all want friends, don't we? And isn't it great that God is our friend? But we assume this. We assume, the T-shirt says, friendship, not fear. And so I've heard Christians exegete the, the fear of the Lord away over many years. So I even read a book. I read a book once called Fear Not, Why Not? And this book uh, explained why we shouldn't fear God. And, the, and how this book said, no, fear God, why not? Um, fear Not, Why Not, it was called. And it said why the, 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 the fear of, we shouldn't fear God. And what it did, it took all the verses where it talks about the fear of the Lord. And it said, well, they're Old Testament. You know, the New Testament isn't the fear of God, is it? And what they said is um, the fear really means just kind of respect. You know, it doesn't really mean fear. Now, I've got a couple of problems with that argument. One is this, is that the fear of the Lord isn't just an Old Testament doctrine, it's a New Testament doctrine. It makes it through the cross, to quote Calvin. For example, the verse that I've just given you today, where it says, you know, 931, they, they lived in the fear of the Lord and the friendship of the Lord. So this is, this is post-Pentecost, friends. This is post-the cross, friends. And the, the fear of the Lord is still there. The other thing is you've got the Lord Jesus himself, where he says, and I bet you've never heard a sermon on this one either, do not fear the one who can destroy um, uh, just the body, but fear the one who can throw the body and soul into hell. God! That's what Jesus is saying. You don't just fear the one who can kill the body. By the way, that's the devil or man. Fear the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. That's God, the Father. Ouch. You know, so the, it's, it's a New Testament doctrine. The second thing is, is that when these exegetes say, oh, fear just means respect... There's a perfectly good Hebrew word for respect, a perfectly good Greek word for respect, and we don't have it. We have the Hebrew and the Greek word for fear. So I've, I've not believed this argument, um, that the fear of God isn't really the fear of God. And for years, I've prayed for the fear of God. I don't tell many people that, but for years, I've said, Lord, give me the f- I want to know the fear of the Lord. I've prayed, I've prayed that prayer. Now, so basically, the, we all want friends. Uh, we'd love to be friends with God, but we think friendship isn't fear. But the Bible says opposite. It says in Psalm 25, verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. So if you want the friendship of the Lord, it's for those who fear him. Okay, so the, so the friendship of the Lord, it's the intimacy of God. And there could be some people here, by the way, who de- do need to hear that word about the friendship of God, because friendship is about intimacy, and if you're not walking in, in, in intimacy with the Lord today, you're not walking in your new birthright, your new birthright as a child of God, as someone who's born again. Your new birthright is to walk in intimacy with the Lord, is to have friendship with the Lord. So that might be a word for you. You need to seek the Lord and get back to that place of friendship, get back, back to that place of intimacy. 
But actually, there are many of us who, who fully accept the friendship of, God, of, of the Lord. But what we don't accept is the fear of the Lord. And as this verse says here, the early Christians, they, they didn't just walk in the friendship of the Lord, but they walked in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, is about... It's about his judgment. It's the fact that God is holy. He's resplendent in holiness. It's, it's about the truth that God is intolerant of sin. We, we, you know, with these days, it's all about being tolerant, isn't it? Well, have you ever thought God is intolerant of sin? Of course he's intolerant of sin. Jesus wouldn't have needed to go to the cross if, Jesus wasn't, uh, if God wasn't intolerant of, 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 of sin. But that's the bit of the gospel that in, in 2021, we want to dial down we were embarrassed of what we prefer John three. We prefer Beatles three sixteen to John three sixteen. Um, we don't like cartoons like this. Um, can you give me a wake up call? Sure, you're going to hell without Jesus. You know we we, do, we don't we don't like we don't like cartoons like that because it's it's the it's the it's the, the bit of the gospel that we do, that we don't that we don't like. Okay, I went on a I went on a retreat uh, with uh, with with J John's evangelists uh in september and um and we all go j john on, on the final night of the retreat j john had his the chairman of his trustees and the wife uh for dinner with, with all the associates so he told us all to be on our best behavior because this group of evangelists there's about 12 of us we sometimes get a bit cheeky and you know the, and whatever so he said right be on your best behavior so we said right okay be on our best behavior and what we did is we all sat around and we told testimonies j john said let's all tell stories about what we've seen god do and you know you can imagine, 12 evangelists sat around. Faith went through the roof. You know, you know I've, why, have I showed you, why have I shared you those stories this morning? I've peppered in stories because I was hoping that, fa- that faith would rise in the building today. Because faith comes from hearing the word of God, doesn't it? So I've been sharing stories of, of God at work so that faith will rise in this building today. Anyway, you can imagine all these evangelists, we all shared stories. Faith went through the roof. Then J. John said to me, uh, he said, Father Gregorius, would you lead us in Compline? Now, Compline is, is, is called night prayer. It's, uh, uh, and, so, and J. John sometimes calls me Father Gregorius as a joke. So he says, Father Gregorius, lead us in Compline. So I did. So I led us in night prayer. And, and, there was, and, and then I led us in a song. You know that old golden oldie? He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And we all, we all sang it. J. John, his associates, and this, this, this lady and her husband, who were the the chairman of the trustees. Anyway, unbeknown to us, the hotel manager was listening to us in the next room. He'd, he'd been clearing away the plates in the next room, clearing away our dinner stuff, and he'd been listening to the testimonies. Not, not a Christian. He'd been listening to the testimonies. As we sang, He is Lord, the Spirit of God fell on him, and he began to weep, this man. And, uh, and one, of, one of the associates led him to Christ, because there was 12 of us, so one of them, Mark Greenwood, actually prayed with him to receive Christ. It was a bit of a cat fight, you can imagine, because we're 12 evangelists. Get out! I'm leading him! And you! Get out! I'm leading him to Christ! Anyway, <coughs> Mark Greenwood got there first. I, le- I wasn't bothered. I've led others. So um, anyway, this man became a Christian. The point of the story is this. Apart from being another Holy Spirit story, I'm going to share something now that I've never shared publicly. I've shared this with my wife, shared it with Ashley, actually, but I've never shared this publicly, but I think it's all right to do so. So that night, I, went, I, went, I went, was, went, went to bed about midnight, went down the bar, went to bed about midnight. I was so excited at this man giving his life to Christ. And so uh, I, basically, um, I basically couldn't get to sleep. So it was, it was, I, I, was, I was kind of all excited and couldn't get to sleep. And about five to one, I thought, I've got to turn off, the, I've got to get to sleep because I've, if I don't sleep, I won't be able to enjoy the conference the next day, you know, these various sessions. 
So I, I, was, I, was about, I was turning off the light about five to one. And at that moment, I sensed the Lord, clear as a bell, say this to me, wrestle with me till daybreak. That was those words, just wrestle with me till daybreak. I immediately knew, obviously, that was echoes of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, and he wrestled with the angel till daybreak. And the angel was a theophany. It was a manifestation of God himself. And he was marked. He was forever marked by God. Anyway, I, I basically... Uh, um, immediately, uh, well, I, go- I googled what time does it, go- does it go light, and it was 6.25, so I thought, oh, I'm in for a long night, Six- <laughs> 6.25. So I, 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 op- I, w- I opened the curtains, and I, I walked up, and, and I prayed for everything, you know, typical evangelical, I prayed for everything, you know, walked up and down, walked up and down, stopped myself falling asleep, prayed for this, prayed for that, prayed for the other, read the Bible passage, you know, about, the, about, about um, Jacob being marked by God, and uh, then went for a walk outside, because I was falling asleep, went for a walk outside. There comes to that bit in the middle of the night where I've only ever stayed up all night once before praying, only once in all my Christian life. But there comes, there comes a, a bit where you actually stop being tired. You kind of just stop being tired. Anyway, so about middle of the night, four o'clock, I don't know what it was, I'd stopped being tired, so I didn't need to walk anymore to keep myself awake because I could just sit down and I was wide awake. And in that moment, I had a profound sense of the presence of God. Almost I was prayed out, you know, in terms of my words, but I had a profound sense of the presence of God. I felt at first a physical pain in my right leg, and you can guess, and I actually thought, I actually said, no, no, Lord. I said, no, Lord. You know, because I thought for a minute, I had a physical pain in my right leg. And I because, you know, Jacob walked with a limp forever. I thought, well, am I going to walk with a limp? Anyway, so I said, uh, no, Lord. And then I said, no, no, sorry, your will be done. Will, you know, because I thought, no. It's, you know. Anyway, thankfully, the pain went. Not walking with a limp. I don't know that was God's sense of humor. I have no idea. But, um, but, but there, were, there, were, there were times anyway that I had this profound sense of the presence of God. And for the first time in my life, I, 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 I've experienced the fear of the Lord. I prayed for it for many years, but I experienced the fear of the Lord. And I can't describe it. it I felt at once the respect and otherness of God, that he is so, he's so holy, the holiness of God, a fear to sin, but also I've never felt as, I've never felt as safe. I've never felt as safe. It, it was... It was I sensed the, f- the fear of the Lord. I'd prayed for it for years. A couple of times when I was praying, I had to open my eyes because it felt there was like physical presence in the room. I thought, is there any? Anyway, I didn't see anything. But a couple of times, I, I sensed the, f- the fear of the Lord. I'm, I'm, conv- I'm convinced um, that the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. And uh, we, need to, we need to pray pray for that. I would encourage you. I prayed for it. It was years before I, I experienced it. But I'd, I would encourage you to pray uh, for the, the fear of the Lord. So the churches then throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace. They were edified. That is to say they were built up. They had spiritual, they had spiritual depth, but also numerical growth. They were, they were multiplied. But all this happened as they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the, the friendship and the fear. Let's, even as Christians, seek to know more and more the biblical God. He's the only God we've got. And actually, let's pray too that as we know this biblical God on his own terms, that we too might walk in his friendship and his fear, that we might have peace even in the midst of the storm, that we might see numerical growth, but we also might see spiritual depth. I'm just going to pray now, hand over to Ashley. I, don't, I, I, do, I do think it'd be good if we had an opportunity for prayer ministry at the end, for people to receive prayer. Because there, there might be various things that you specifically have sensed the Lord speak 
to you about today through this message. And if, if that is the case, you know, come forward, receive prayer. Someone will stand with you, pray for you, pray, pray with you. Let's not just allow this to s- slip away. But for now, uh, let's just pray. So, Father, we, th- we thank you that you are our God. Uh, we thank you that, uh, that you are the one who's taken us from darkness into your glorious light. Father, we look at the Acts of the Apostles and we sometimes say we want to see revival like that. But we recognize, Lord, if we want to see what those Christians saw, we need to believe what they believed. We need to do what they did. And Lord, we recognize that's a problem because in the post-modern Western world, the church, not just the world, but the church is very compromised in this nation and in many Western nations. So may, may we be different, Lord. May Apex be different. May we dance to the beat of a different drum and may it be the drum of the gospel. May we, may, may, may we, may we dance to the beat of your drum. Uh, We say, Father, we want to know you on your own terms. You are the God of the Bible. May we know you biblically, we pray. We repent of of, of where we we bought into, um, I don't know, reducing you somehow or accommodating you with the secular culture and making you less than who you reveal yourself to be in Holy Scripture. And we pledge ourselves to heaven afresh today. We pledge ourselves to you and we say we believe in you. Uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who calls us to walk in the friendship and the fear, uh, we, we pledge ourselves to you. And I pray, Father, we pray that, uh, that those th- we might see those things. We might have peace even in the midst of the storm. We might see uh, numerical growth, but we might have spiritual depth, we pray, in our own lives, in our own spiritual lives. But Lord, give us that revelation of the friendship of the, of, and the fear. May we know you in intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. May we know you in intimacy, but may we, may we know you in holy reverence and fear as well. Reveal this to us as individuals. Reveal this to us as a church, we pray. And, uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, being changed by you, we, we might be used of you uh, to see your kingdom break in in our day, in our lives, in our friendship groups, in our family groups, on this island, in this nation. Your kingdom come, your will be done, we pray, on earth, even as it is in heaven. Amen.